Think about it. If you were on a building, which do you feel more confident about? It could be like an 80-story 80, 80 tall skyscraper, but you know that foundation is drilled, uh, you know, 150 feet in the ground and it's made out of concrete and all the rebar and everything. It's like, it's they, they took years to make that foundation or a pyramid, for example, it stood forever. The foundation, the foundation is bigger than the top or than the peak. It's like, this foundation is solid. Or you go to a beach house that's on the coast and it's got some stilts in the ground. That's what happens every time they go and take your foot and smash into a shoe, you weaken your foundation. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast, hosted by your soulmates from the Foot Collective. I'm Nick, and we're on a mission at TFC to empower humans in their quest to restore natural foot health and natural function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. This week, I speak with Graham Tuttle. Graham shares the story of how he came to be doing the work that he does today. We talk about coaching, athleticism, and the benefits of barefoot, and we also share our definitions of health and go off on a few relevant and hopefully juicy tangents. We also talk about the notion of feeling unqualified when it comes to doing something for the first time and sort of the full circle journey of exploring complexity to gain knowledge only to eventually return to the simple after carving out wisdom and truth through experience. So I really enjoyed speaking with Graham and we hope you enjoy listening to the conversation. Ciao for now. Before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to share a story from our community. Ray Cameron is a member of our Explorer program. Well, before I started this journey, my feet used to be all cramped up tight because of the unnatural footwear that they've been accustomed to. I also have bunions. Now, by doing all of the exercises that I have available to me through the Foot Collective, basically I'm getting to splay my feet. I think for me, mindset is one of the biggest things that uh, contribute to our success because it's our mindset that actually says, what's my why? Why am I bothering to do this? Why am I putting all this time, effort and energy into working on my body? What am I getting out of it? And when I get to a particular point that's hard, do I then give up and go back to a life of, you know, comfort? Or do I actually keep going? We become our own physician. We actually listen to our body. So what we're being asked to do is to do these exercises. Feel within your body, where are you? You know, so like being mindful. And it's those things that we do through our self-assessment that actually says, ah, these are the things I need to work on to actually improve myself. We then get a set of tools to help us do that. We look at feet and footwear, we look at balance, we look at doing squats and being on the ground. And all of those are incredibly important. But the other thing that is important is the community of people. So the feedback and encouragement that we got from everybody, we're all getting to the same destination. Our journey's not all the same because people have got different issues and therefore you work on them differently. But at the end of the day, it's about life. If you're like Ray and have a specific foot or ankle condition, issues up the chain at your knees, hips or back, or just want to improve your overall movement health, the Explorer program is for you. To learn more, head to thefootcollective.com forward slash explorer or head to the link in our show notes. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to TSE's Restore to Explore podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Nick, and today I'm hosting a conversation with Graham Tuttle. So, Graham, thanks for being here and taking the time to share your story and your knowledge with our community. No. But it's a pleasure to be had. You know, it's funny. I'm so used to listening to podcasts. I'm like sitting here, like, and I'm like, wait, oh, that's me. <laughs> that's, my, just, that's my cue. Uh, <laughs> well, I listen to so many. It's just like, you know, dozens every week. And basically, like, you just got to get in the flow of like, all right, we're starting. And it's like, oh, wait, 
I have to say something. Okay, I'm ready. I'm here. I'm saying something now. You ready to go? Yeah, I think with podcast, like I'm, I kind of got overwhelmed by the podcast world. I like filled every um, spare minute in my life that wasn't consumed with other stuff with podcasts. I realized it was actually mm-hmm. not a good thing. So now I'm way more selective. I spend a lot of time deciding what podcasts to listen to instead of just listening to everything. Mm-hmm. But it is such a crazy outlet for learning and here and basically being a fly on the wall and some really amazing conversations. So um, yeah, we hope that this is a good conversation for people who are listening and it gives you value and maybe a good place. It to will start. be, it will be for sure. It will be. You're right. Yeah. We it's decision. Um, let's start with your story. So basically it's like, why do you do the work you do today? How did you come to be doing that work? And feel free to make it as long or as short as you want from the understanding that people listening to this may not know who you are. Um, yeah, let's start mm-hmm. there. So uh, you got to be careful with giving me the uh, free range for length. I have the capacity to uh, intertwine multiple narratives together and talk I'll, for a long I'll time. I'll rope you in if I need to, but always. I'm curious to hear it. There you go. So uh, about, well, I, I guess, you know, more or less my, uh, my personal story start. I've just turned 30, which is a bit of hard pill to swallow. Not from a, like a physical health perspective, just from like a, everybody around me just seems to think it's a massive deal. So then eventually I'm like, gosh, I'm 30 now. But I didn't think it was a big deal. I just felt like I was turning another year. Regardless, here I am at 30. I was born, so I guess 30 years ago. The uh, the biggest thing was kind of defining aspect. It was like I born with very poor eyesight. So just very weak eyes, a little bit of astigmatism, which means that like one eye is, uh, had a different orientation than the other. So because of that, it's like you don't really develop. Well, when you wear glasses, and so you, you see I was wearing them earlier, and I've kind of taken them off. So I'm actually doing work to reverse that to an extent. I don't know how much I'll be able to do that, but figure you could try. And so in some capacity, I think my experience with glasses reflects a lot of most people's experience with orthotics and shoes, and as was my experience many years ago. But, you know, when you wear glasses, you're very magnified, to, especially for far-sighted people, my magnified vision through the lens, and you don't develop any peripheral vision. So everything to the side of your eyes just shut off. So in a sense, that affects your capacity to uh, triangulate your balance. And so We'll go back to this theme because I think one of the biggest pieces of foot health and the imports for feet, because a lot of people will you know, listen, okay, well, yeah, yeah, I should wear this type of shoe. It, like, yeah, the rationale makes sense, meaning, all right, humans existed, didn't eat your barefoot or minimalist shoes for thousands of years. We walked on two feet. It just separates us from most other animals. You know, we have capacity with thousands of nerve endings to the bottom of our feet to sense the ground. We have sweat glands that improve the conductivity to get the grounding stimulus from the ground. People have heard that before, but the point I think that really matters and isn't underscored is like, so that you can. And so when you think about the, the, the point of all that stuff is like, well, when it comes to balance, which really could underscore all of uh, the foundation of all our efforts is how balanced we are, because if we don't have the capacity to strike a, a level of like uh, control in our environment, we have nothing to move up from. So you know, we talked earlier about Bitcoin. It's like one of the things that Bitcoin is it's stable. And so like the capacity for us to be stable as individuals is inherent in everything else. Because if we can't find stability, we can't move out from that. So, you know, that's that's one of those pieces. So that triangulation process of balancing happens with one, proprioceptive feedback. So most most importantly, where your feet are, how you can sense the ground. And of course, any other physical feedback that's proprioception. Then there's the vestibular complex, so the inner ear, the, uh, the actually the fluid and the sands that move in context to gravity that can tell you where you're upright when you're moving. That's something that happens uh, that's generally healthy, I think. But if we lose exposure to things that get us rolling and moving and 
putting her head and swinging that around, I think, and there's probably something to do with hydration or something in there as well. But if we lose the capacity to give that stimulus as well, that gets weaker. And the third is visual feedback. And so uh, the capacity to see with our eyes and to not only see, but to like look and to intuit that, that visual feedback and kind of ground ourselves with the eye. So you got to think of this. Uh, the human body is always triangulating everything, whether it's an idea. It's like, I have an idea. I hear it from somebody else and I confirm it with somebody else. I uh, proof of work kind of thing. It's like you use it, you, you verify. So you see all these different concepts. It's like, you know, things that make sense are generally triangulated. And so from that perspective, growing up really poor eyesight, very bad, um, very limited proprioception, which means my uh, motor control was a little bit off. So the capacity to like see something coming at me and then act. And this is something I've thought about recently, uh, a little bit of a mushroom thought, but it was um, in the capacity, it's like I have technology. And so this actually correlates well. So we could, I'll pause that and come back. Grew up wanting to be an athlete, never good enough, never athletic enough, never, I was always a little bit too big, a little bit too clunky, a little bit too whatever. So I ended up running track across country. Um, and by track across country, I mean the slowest two mile and longest thing because they don't make cuts. And so it's something you get to do. But I played every sport, but can't play football when you have uh, rec specs because they pull your helmet, your helmet pulls your eyes down. And they would play in helmet football and glasses. It was horrible. Got contacts in middle school, which changed my life. But by that point, I kind of missed the sport wave in some capacity. So I just started running because mom didn't want me to get concussion, which is great. And I appreciate that. I got an intact head at this point. But, you know, my I have an intact head, but a broken ego. So such as that. Um, and they got to be cool. You know, girls that were like me in high school and middle school. But I guess I'm 30. I should let that go. I don't know. The, um, <laughs> all that meant is uh, ended up being, by the time I got, uh, junior year, so 11th, 12th grade in high school, I, I, I first went to the gym and uh, changed my life after that because I was like, oh, I can actually go in and change my body. And so I started training like a meathead. And eventually I really, you know, I got to the point like I want to be an athlete, but I'm training like a meathead, started to have injuries. Most notably was the first an ankle sprain. Then that led up to like a, a disc issue in the back, uh, 11 shoulder dislocations, knee pain, turf toe, you know. So there's main injuries and then there's like associated pains and aches i suppose so like you know chronic injuries so like the main acute injuries that happened kind of uh, at a rash of which was all like the first two years of college really strange for me the first time it ever happened but then those associated acute injuries turned into resonating things that were either on the other side of the body or up the chain or down the chain like plantar fasciitis turf tone uh, metatarsalagia neuromas patellar tendonitis you know, you, you literally I could go on in a list and stuff. Cause I think the problem is once we get into a diagnosis culture, we start to look at every single thing. It's like, it's not just a pain. It's like, it's a, it's a diagnosis. And I had this thing and it's like, we carry that with us like a label. So yeah, it's like the know, story that ends up being so sticky if it's told to you by someone with a fancy degree oh and that actually can be more harmful than the thing itself. That is you know, a few things I'm passionate about. And that, that is one of them is like, uh, ending diagnoses or well, not like ending, but like just putting them back into a place where they're just a, a description and not a, uh, a damnation. Yeah. So that ended up leading me to the point as a coach. And I, I kind of got captivated with this idea of changing your body. And the only thing you really wanted to do is play sports and wear stretchy pants. So I went to college and got a glorified personal training certification cert certificate or whatever. And then started working. I had the opportunity to get a foot in the door at this athletic training facility, which I had no no uh let's say I, I was not i did not deserve to be in whatsoever um i don't what, what's that saying I had, um you were not qualified no reason or... being there 
not qualified whatsoever because I, I remember the first time I went in to coach the class and the kid was like, all right, coach, what are you doing? I was like, I, I am I, like, I know some stuff about the Let's body, move. but I am not qualified to be a coach. All right. Yeah. Run down the back. So anyways, I, I kind of, uh, I faked my way until I made it uh, for a few years. And then at that process, you kind of, it's so funny because most trainers, most coaches, like, especially the ones that are young and very excited and like passionate about it, they generally know the least. So like, I mean, I think there's a dip, like the more passionate you are, the less knowledge you have. And then eventually the passion starts to season and turn into like a, a, a mature understanding and the knowledge increases. Mm-hmm. Then you get to a point where it's like, if you really develop a love for it, that passion returns and you come back in like full swing where you're really doing something, but you're bringing wisdom and it's, it's like a refined desire. And it's, it's not, desire is not the right word. It's like a refined appreciation and gratitude that you're able to bring in and really just fully put your effort in. Because yep. passion is just like this kind of fleeting, overwhelming thing. Yeah, but, like, I, I very... think passion has like motivation. Like motivation always comes in wave, and motivation alone is not enough to sustain long term sticking with something. Um, and yeah, yeah, and it's almost like you go into the weeds super deep, and then you kind of, you know, or at least I found personally, I go into the weeds super deep, realize actually, I don't ninety percent of the shit I know actually is not useful. What are the most useful things? pull those nuggets out. That's the wisdom. And then you look at things in a totally different lens where you're like, actually all these things that we're doing aren't really that important. They can be done. There's nothing wrong with them. But like, if you're not doing these core fundamentals, all those other things don't actually matter. Um, and it's almost like the hero's journey of what, of observing a lot of movement, going through your own experience, having all the roadblocks and issues, seeing what actually matters, and then bringing that wisdom back in to people who are just coming in the pipeline. I think that's like, that's the loop that, Hopefully yeah. most people get to, some people don't make it there. Um, but most yeah, people don't make it I agree there. with the passion and you know, the motivation ebbs and flows and you need something deeper to sustain you. Yeah. Well, in that, in that passion, it's like, I think there's uh, nine out of 10, it's like four out of five coaches don't make it out of the first year. And then four out of the five of the next, don't make it out of the first five years. So basically it's like, you know, the vast majority of people start off with just a passion. They don't really turn into like a seasoned uh, professional. And the hard part is that like when you're young and passionate, you find one piece, one one thing and you're like, oh, this is it. And then you go and throw that into the fire. So your clients, like most of the stuff you hear from like a young trainer, young coaches, I'm guilty of doing this too, is like the last thing that they learned. (laughs) And then it's like, which is kind of like one piece and it always misses context and nuance. And so then we kind of get this propagation of like, over simplistic exercise myths, so to speak, uh, same nutrition, weight loss, and all this stuff. But that's uh, beside the point. Ultimately, what ended up leading is like that last, you know, over the last 10 years working as a coach and trainer in various capacities, most of that is like I wanted to be around the environment so I could work on myself. And so I got the point of like, okay, you know, I, got, I was 22, 23, and I'm like, ah, my body didn't feel good. My knees are aching, my back is hurting, my shoulder doesn't feel stable. And it's like, there's things I want to do, but I don't feel confident. So I kind of ended up like working through the typical, like, you know, the band exercises and the typical approach you do for physical therapy, because all the places I worked at early on were fortunate enough to be able to be paired with a physical therapy location. So I'd go and ask them, and they'd do like the band exercise for the shoulder and the breathing for the core and stuff like that. It's like, all right, that's good, but it just, you know, I, I, there's something felt that was missing. And so it was, it's for whatever reason I like when they looked down on my feet and noticed that for whatever reason, actually, I, I saw a video of me walking and that was, that was the thing that shifted it all. Cause I was walking, I looked like Donald Duck. It was like one foot was flipped out of the side, you know, my, my 
cadence my it was way symmetrical i was like why did no one ever tell me that i looked this goofy like no one ever sat there and like you know did a hey help a friend out here but you know so i looked at that i was like something is off and, and then i looked at my feet and i had adopted this posture and i kind of ended up doing the work backwards and figuring out like okay there's actually this issue going on where like that arch that I, or the ankle that I sprained years ago, the arch never healed. And so that that's collapsed in. So the toes have turned out and it's bunning on that left side. And all of a sudden, like that's shifting my hips and my knees starting to overextend on one side. And my plantar fascia is irritated and my toes stiff on the other side. So I ended up like going this long path of like kind of connecting all these dots. But ultimately I came down to like my feet are weak and they're, they haven't touched the ground in forever. So I switched over to, to made the, made the adjustment. I did it all backwards and just changed the running form right off the bat. And you change your shoes, and then it's like, well, maybe I should do some stuff with my feet. And so, like, I end up giving myself worse injuries along the way, trying to figure things out, which I'm sure is a common theme you see with people. It's like, I do you know, it. when you don't know what you're doing, you just, yeah, you just throw effort at it and throw in it without, uh, eff- without uh, like intention. Effort just leads to more energy that can be destructive. Destructive, but ultimately, it's it was a, it was a process of rebuilding the body, starting at the feet, and I realized. Yeah, fundamentally, the the issues I'd had were because the physical therapy, let's say the insurance physical therapy model, kind of treats the ankle as the lowest one in the body, and they don't really associate the toes as being uh, a player. Like if you think that heel striking is the appropriate rate of run, then you're not going to think of the toes as anything that's significant. But when you think about the forefoot and the 28 bones that are in the foot, how they have the capacity to move and articulate, then you start to look and say, all right, do those can they move? And if they can't move, then you know, we need to do something to remedy that because otherwise, you know, we got a, a flipper down there when it should have been a bunch of bones and articulate joints. So that makes sense. It does. And I, yeah, I mean, so I'm formally trained as a physical therapist and just the idea that essentially throughout physio school, the foot gets treated as a piece of wood. Like no conversation is had about like they teach you the components. It's almost like they have a piece of wood. They show you that there's all this grain and glue, but they don't actually say that it does anything or should be doing anything. So you don't really look at it as mm-hmm. this dynamic subsystem. It's just like, oh, that's just the thing connected to the ankle, but it's not really worth looking into. It's too com- it's it's too complex for us to understand. So just put them in supportive shoes and you're good. And it's like such a weird, uh, ignorant way of viewing one of the most complex areas of the body. So it's, yeah, it's really silly. Well, I think the difficulty is like, it, it, it seems weird and complex, but it's like, until you look at everything as a product, and this is something I've thought about more and more is like, uh, products are valuable in that they create some level of like, like in order you have, like, for example, when you go buy a house, you buy a plot of land, and I'm sure that's true in other countries as well, but like, you say you, you go into nature and it's like, okay, there's the, there was land and now we have to like, we have to create the demarcations and constraints and boundaries around that thing or clear cut it, put a line on it, put a flag to mark the corners. That's a plot of land. And so in the sense, the way that I don't know, maybe it's the, the, the masculine urge, just like this desire to go and understand to like tame is the ability to just like, we go out and we create products. Everything is a product. So a product is a meme or unit information that can be, consistently reproduced displayed and sold to people and so everything we do as individuals whether it's uh, insurance treatments physical therapy protocols uh, medical insurance prior medical products shoes orthotics socks it's all kind of product and the problem is when you create a product you lose the individual 
experience. And so that's the thing is like, when you look backwards at every single thing that is kind of like become mainstream, it's a product. And there's nothing wrong with products because they are how we go and understand what would otherwise be chaos. But the second you productize it, you lose the essence of the original thing. The second you create a shoe, in a sense, or something that when you, cre- you create a frame that like you, you can frame in or frame out. A product is always a frame in because there was a frame out to see a bigger perspective. And meaning like we step back, we are two individuals having a conversation. Okay, let's frame in. Like, oh, well, now let's create a podcast. What are the constraints of a podcast? You talk and I talk. We both have headphones. We both have create something that's meaningful for people to listen to. It's like they can be good because it constrains what would otherwise be I don't know, endless words. And so in those constraints, we get some level of order. But every time you do that, you lose the essence. And so yeah, long-form podcast. Yes, exactly. So you know, I think that's the thing is like you look at like every single thing is a product, even if it comes down to the information you're being told. And by virtue of understanding like that, that one piece of information, you can look at everything and say, oh, I'll go to physical therapy. But I understand that these are people that are trained to give me a product. A surgery is a product. Like they're trained to think, okay, when someone comes in with plantar fasciitis, give them this product, which is you get eight plantar, eight uh, physical therapy sessions covered by insurance. We have to do this, 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 this. Here's the book. And so, like, it's not bad, but most physical therapists don't really develop that like art, so to speak, because you go to physical therapy school when you're like twenty or eighteen, twenty when you're right out of college, and you don't really have any clinical experience with people, and so you walk in all of a sudden, never been taught sales. Never been taught business, never been talking not how to like speak to people. You just there's this easy thing to gain. Well, now I'm a doctor, I have a doctorate, and I'm but like the you know, like the fact that physical therapists think that they're somewhat different than somehow different than personal trainers blows my mind. It's like you both do exercise and one of you just went to school to get some fancy words finding it. It doesn't take away from the expertise and the the let's say the knowledge that's learned from that, but like there is this level of like dogmatism that's like, well, I know all the things. It's like if I saw a personal trainer that walked up and had, I've got my FRC and all these things, like I don't care. Like, you know, do you have the skills to go see the individual in front of them and empathize and be there with them? And I think that's the thing that gets lost is like, you, you can't just go and think that you learn because everyone's say product. If I go buy a bunch of products, it doesn't necessarily make me a better coach. It just makes me have the alphabet suit behind my name. Yeah. Like your, your product, the way I look at it, I, I completely agree with everything you just said. And as someone who did pay to get the letters beside my name and who thought that meant something early on, uh, you know, there was like a, a hard truth, like a gut punch that comes with, oh shit, I actually don't know virtually anything. And actually some of the stuff that I was taught is stopping me from actually learning the truth. So there's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a little bit of friction and cognitive dissonance. And like, you know, you gotta like kill part of yourself that thought they were the god of of movement because that's what you literally paid so much money and time and that's what everyone said people are coming to see you because that's the identity that you've been essentially given by this by this degree meanwhile um yeah like a a, someone who this is where the concept of first of all i love that you tied bitcoin somehow into the intro because it's uh, there's something very special about people who can do that um but the idea of proof of work is essentially i don't care what degree you have, what tests you took, what letters you have beside your name. What I care about is your ability to help me improve my body. The best way for me to see that is for you to show me proof of the work you've done to improve your own body, which is like, can you actually go on a barefoot hike? Can you do a full body weight? Can you get into a resting squat position? Like that notion of embedding proof of work, replacing proof of degree 
with proof of work and having a way to show proof of ability to help others is sort of like the new world we're going into. Because at the end of the day, if I see a personal trainer who um, goes barefoot, trains like a savage, has really great movement capacity and is actually moves really well. And then I see a physio who's wearing shoe destroying, feet destroying shoes, can't even get into a squat. And my mom needs help with her movement. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out which person I'm sending her to. And it's not the physio that can't do shit, that can't move, yeah. that doesn't understand anything just based on me observing and asking them to do two movements. So I think, yeah, it's like at the end of the day, what really matters is your ability to help others. I think the, the, the killer product is your ability to help people take better care of themselves because that is not a structured thing that disempowers them. It actually becomes your product is actually you're selling empowerment by guiding people along the process, not by being the answer to their, their problems. Cause you can't actually be the answer anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you struggled when you were younger because of your vision, because of coordination, discovered the gym, got contacts, um, started sort of seeing a different perspective on movement. I also think that no one feels Literally. qualified to do something the first time they do it. doesn't matter how much, how many, you know, how much you've prepared. So, um, and then, and then what happens? So how do you get from there to where you are today? And maybe let people know too, like, what do you do today? Well, so and this is the thing that's the ironic thing about the uh, analogy of your mom. So, you know, I, I always think there's a triangulation if you're trying to find a good therapist, people will be less like, well, where do I go? Because, you know, first thing you've got to realize that if you want to take ownership of yourself, it ain't going to happen through insurance. Insurance is selling a product and maybe sometimes people fit within that little product line, but very rarely does it happen. So if you want to take ownership of your, your health, you have to start thinking outside the box of like, well, I'll just go to this physical therapist. Like, P equals MD. Not all doctors are the same. Every surgeon had to pass, but it doesn't mean that there was a surgeon at the bottom of the class, so to speak. So all that being said is like, I think there's a triangulation factor you could do, which is one, the ability to show dem demonstrable capacity of knowledge within themselves. So like self, what you, this is what you expressed Two, the ability to create change in other people. So testimonials, people that uh, have worked with them and meaning like consistently being able to understand like, nuances across different individuals and three would be the ability to communicate effectively so if somebody can't make something simple and make it like you know talk to a, a fifth grader so to speak the richard Feynman approach they don't really understand it so if they're throwing a bunch of jargon at you yeah then they're just gonna you know they're they're it's not they they're missing that triangulation factor in some capacity um so that being said when it comes to someone like your mother in this fake analogy but you know Maybe true. The uh, you could look at say over a few years of coaching, what I started to notice is that the problems people have are pretty much the same. And so this is, you know, this is where you start to think, oh, I'll make a product. So like, it's it's they're the same, but it's it's let's say it this way, there are different manifestations of pain in the body, but generally they root from some level of lacking capacity of knowledge, meaning they don't they aren't empowered, they don't know what's happening in their body, and so. What I realized is in, in many ways, like what we skip in school is the physical education and not so much like physical education, like go play games and stuff, which I think is the most valuable part of it. But in addition, like the ability to appreciate our body and to have mm -hmm. awe and wonder for that. I think some of those things happen by being able to do things. But when we stop taking, when we, as we increasingly become a more like uh, cognitive society, like an intellectual society, like information driven society, we, we, 
you know, in step have lost some of the capacity, the physical capacity. And so, you know, in, I, I strongly believe that the body is a conduit for understanding ourselves. And so by moving, by engaging with the physical world, we better have a perception. We're able to better perceive our role and our place within that thing. And as part of that disconnect, we start to miss the messages of pain in the body. So pain is really the first teacher. It's And by pain, I mean sensation because there's there's a spectrum of like pain. The opposite of pain isn't pleasure. The opposite of pain is numbness. And so not feeling it. So pain is any sensation that pulls your attention away from something that you otherwise were attending to. So you can think of like pleasure. If something feels really good, you go, oh, or hunger. Oh, like yeah. something that drags. It's a deeper instinctive uh, feeling essence that pulls your attention towards something that your body says needs attention. So in that capacity, the more we're able to buffer and use technology to remove us from the sensations of life, the less in touch with our bodies we get. And so this is the correlation between, let's say, like glasses and shoes, for example. So in a, in a capacity, and yes, and to be clear, technology is very valuable. Doctors are valuable surgeons and all these things are good because they are life-saving. And so all the usual disclaimers, it's, you know, be, be careful that you're not running down the line of like, we don't need any of this stuff. Like the line of an advanced human is to be able to walk the, the natural understanding of our animal inheritance while also looking at technology as an aid for greater understanding. For example, 99.9% of all humans never saw the top of a cloud. So, you know, the ability to get in the plane and see above a cloud is such a rare thing that we just now take for granted, but that's be happening because we are working with technology in those, in those extents. So that doesn't mean we'd lose our capacity to walk just because we can fly in an airplane, you know, like we need to have both, but in that capacity, it's like, okay, you see the, this commonality of people who've lost the capacity to connect to their body. And so, you know, we could go and say, well, what does that mean? We need to get them to exercise more. Okay. Well, what exercise? And so then you see this battling. You see people that are like, you know, they've missed the base layer. And so they're thinking about second, third, fourth layer externalities. Like people are out of shape. Well, let's get them to walk more. Okay. Put them on a treadmill and go on. You know, like they, they don't realize that there's this like, we, we quibble over what to eat. We quibble over how to move. We quibble over what workout clothes to wear, what shoes to wear. But we never actually look at like, what is the deepest commonality, the, the, the most true layer of knowledge that exists within the human? It's like, well, that's the physical flesh, bones, uh, sinew, fascia, tissue. And so in context of that, like, what is the thing that is the most buffered? Meaning, what is the thing that has the most feedback block? It's like almost always the shoes. So the feet, because the feet have this 28 bone structure, hundreds of or 33 joints, hundreds of ligaments and, and uh, muscles in the in this, like just below the ankle. And yet we rarely do anything. And so what I started to notice over and over again was that not only were people's feet like very uh, pale and fleshy and lumpy, they also had crooked toes, toenails are messed up, arches are collapsed. They have no strength. They can't balance. And they're always wearing shoes. So I just started having people take your shoes off, take your shoes off, take your shoes off. And you start to realize like people have no connection with their feet, mm. which by proxy means they have no connection with the ground, which means that they are disconnected from the very thing that they came from. And so there's a deep layer of this. Like if you want to look at getting people connected to some level of like an animalistic inheritance, because we are animals, you have to then connect them to the source of that. So you know, there's a lot of like deeper, as you found is like, when you start to look at the feet, the people who look at the feet are looking at the foundation of the body. People look at the foundation of things are interested in first principles thinking. And people who look at that actually want a solution. 
They're not interested in just propagating the problem and just quick and getting a quick fix. And to be fair, the first impulse everybody has is, oh, let me go and just get this. Because when you think of pain, for the first experience of pain, it's not like people are just floating around wand aimlessly. They may see, think so later on, which I've solved that, like, I don't even know what I was trying to do. But at the time, even if you're a child, like you're a three-year-old, you're trying to build a magic fantasy princess island and it's think it's really important. You got to go and like get the, get the garbage all set up and you got to go with the, you know, I don't know, the action figure, whatever people, whatever kids do. And maybe they're playing Roblox. They think it's important. And so at some point, everything we do as humans, we think of as important, whether it is or not. I think that's always a matter of perspective. And I think it always, you know, that's kind of the humbling part. It's like, you never know. And, you know, you have to treat it like it's important for it to ever amount to anything, even if it, even if it isn't important, but the point is we're doing something we think is important. And then pain pops up as an interruption an inconvenience. My ankle is killing me, but I've got to go to work or I've got to make this run. Or like, especially as we start to put uh, ego attached to like physical training, I've got to do this marathon training. I've got to do this workout. It's like, I'm just as bad as that too. So like, you know, we don't let pain sit there and say, Oh, this is an interesting thing. What am I experiencing? Why is this happening? What could I do differently? Mm. You know, how am I complicit in creating this problem? We don't do that. We just think I need this thing gone because I've got shit to do. Right. This is stopping me from what I want to do. Therefore, I must get rid of it. That's it. Exactly. As quick as possible. And so we go, well, you know, um, sometimes we'll we'll do some research. Oh, maybe my shoes are bad. Oh, maybe I need an orthotic and I go to a doctor. And so maybe whoever we walk into, most people say, well, I'm paying for insurance. I'm going to go see a physical therapist. And the physical therapist is like, you know, wearing hokas and never got taught how to run, doesn't know how to move and can't even do a squat. Again, some physical therapists are doing the thing. They are fantastic. And we're seeing more and more of those. So if you're one of those, keep at it. Most physical therapists, they're kind of paternalistic and they've been, you know, they've been grandfathered into this process. And they think that they have this like high and mighty thing of like, oh, well, it's because of the things you're doing. And they sell you your product because that's what they were sold. Not to mention that the schools are funded by medical insurance companies and medical product companies. But that's beside the point. What matters is that you go in and it doesn't really matter who you see. It matters that you walk in and you give this power to this person that you've never met before, but they've got net letters behind the name. So they're going to tell you something about yourself that you don't know. And it's going to give you an answer. And it's going to say, well, you have metatarsalasia. What does that mean? It means basically a fancy word for your foot hurts, but you should not be barefoot. You should wear shoes. And maybe you should check out a custom orthotic, especially if you don't recommend you to a podiatrist who are literally bathed in this idea of like you should be wearing an orthotic like what wait what like uh, okay okay so you mean i should never be barefoot again yeah that's rough that's too much for your feet too much stress and so you see how this happens is like they walk in and all of a sudden just because someone's having a bad day they get labeled and slapped with this thing of i've got this thing it's like no your foot was just weak and stiff and you smashed in the shoes so like you fix that fix everything else but they keep throwing more and more products at it because there's no money in sick people there's no money in healthy people and dead people so they got to make you sick. And so that's what they do. They give you a thing. And then you, because of that, you walk away with this whole level of like, oh, wow, I guess I do have weak feet. You know, so then you start to think, think about it. If you're on a building and which do you feel more confident about? A building, it could be like an 80, 80 story tall skyscraper, but you know, that foundation is drilled, you know, 150 feet in the ground and it's made out of concrete and all the rebar and everything. It's like, it's, they, they took years to make that foundation or a pyramid, for example, it stood forever. The foundation, the foundation is bigger than the top or than the peak. It's like, this foundation is solid. Or you go to a beach house that's on the coast and it's got some silts in the ground. That's what happens every time they go and take your foot and smash it into a shoe, you weaken your foundation. And so then guess what? You feel fragile. 
You don't trust yourself as much. You feel like the world is going to hurt you. You feel like if you fall or do anything, you might get hurt again. And so that fragile mindset pervades every other part of your body. Movement gets stiff. Your joints get stiff. Your muscles and tissue get dehydrated. Your fascia stops working properly. Because you basically have given it the, the, the connecting source that grounds me and roots me into this, this surface that I'm living on. It isn't safe. And so what you do is you go in because some little pain you need to try and figure as quick as possible. Quick as possible. You can walk out with some type of diagnosis that completely changes the, kind of the course of your life. So then people, you know, that's so we can go from there. No, no, I'll that's rant for more. I, I agree with all of that. And I think really it's like I looking back on physio school, I kind of looked at it as what is the fundamental assumption that all of this programming, all of this quote unquote knowledge is layered on. And what I realized is the fundamental base understanding, whether it's said or unsaid is the human body is flawed. It will break down. Mm -hmm. We exist mm -hmm. to fix it. That is the, that this is like the base assumption they bake into your degree. And when I kind of like looked at it objectively and then looked at, okay, what does my experience tell me? What is, what does my own understanding tell me? It's like the human body works amazing. It adapts directly to what we expose it to. It's smarter than we are. It knows how to organize itself efficiently without us doing anything. It can heal itself without us doing anything. All our only job is to give it the right inputs to allow it to adapt in the right direction. And that, that mindset is in complete opposition to the body is flawed. It breaks. Mm -hmm. We exist to fix it. Whereas the new mindset is like the body works really well. Um, you know, we're all given this F1 car and we take the F1 car, which is like the best technology in the world. And we use it on a rally car track and it breaks and we go to the people to fix it. And they're like, Oh yeah, we're just going to replace your parts. It's like, or they could just say, stop using the F1 car on a rally track. Cause that's not yeah. what it's designed for. And here's a way to use your F1 car better or to put rat or to like, you know, understand, basically just help people understand how the body is supposed to function. And that is not anywhere in the world of physio or, you know, and you're right. It's like, I don't think that people are trying to keep people sick or trying to break them. But one of my favorite sayings is show me the incentive. I'll show you the outcome. If people are incentivized to treat, to diagnose and treat pain without ever solving the problem. That's what they're going to end up doing, whether they're doing it intentionally or not. That's literally it. And if they're literally financially punished for empowering people with understanding so they can take care of themselves instead of positioning themselves as the solution because they charge for that, um, then they're not going to do that. Like it's, they're literally totally mutually exclusive systems where the disease care system revolves around diagnosing and treating symptoms of disease, never dealing with the root cause. That is literally what the business model is wrapped around. The new kind of model is help people understand how to take care of themselves and provide tools that allow them to actually change, make sustainable changes. Um, and they're just, they can't coexist. It's like, you can't bring one into the other. You can't fix academia the way it exists. There's too much momentum and it's literally not worth the energy. Just build an existing, uh, mm -hmm. build a different system that essentially makes the old one obsolete. And that, you know, the thing you said about, there's not many physios that actually treat that way. And the ironic part is a degree in physio used to be the proxy that vetted people so that you didn't have to be like, well, who do I go see? Right. It's like, well, if they have the degrees, if a dentist has letters beside their name, then I can let them drill into my face because someone's already vetted that person. Problem is the proxies no longer mm -hmm. serve as a measure of ability. And so, you know, one of the things we're doing is for our community of, you know, X amount of thousand people create our own health system where we vet people based on understanding whether they align with our principles or not. And then 
direct our community members to those people who we've kind of vetted and who have shown proof of work that they can actually, that they actually live this truth, which is like, that's what needs to be done. And it has nothing to do with degrees. It's just like, can you do, show us that you've done the work, show us proof of work that you've actually put time and energy into your own process um, and can actually communicate these things um, and can actually show us like what you've done. Because if you can't do that, then there's no reason that we would trust that you can, you can actually help people. Um, and I think feedback mechanisms, like you said, like testimonials and some sort of system where people who they have helped can plug back in some feedback saying they helped me. This is how they did it. I'm now improving. You know, it should be profitable to be really good at helping people improve their health. And right now it's not. Yeah. Um, and if you can create a set of business incentives around that, where you can actually be very profitable, the more effective you are, which really just means helping people more using less of your time and energy and resources. Um, that's what we need to incentivize. And yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know where we were before that, but I, I just, I really, I like the rant because I think it's literally just the truth of the system we find ourselves in. And it's a big, it's a huge problem, but it's also a giant opportunity to create something better. And like you said, if you can get people to feel more into their bodies by literally just reconnecting them with the environment around them by taking off their shoes or being more aware of their connection to the world, that seems like a good start. Well, so embedded in that, uh, just to uh, parry off what you said, the embedded in the idea of physical therapy, if you think about the word, so it, it is like every other thing. So like you get to the DEI movement, the diversity, equity, inclusion movement, it's like, okay, the first person who starts this has a seed of truth. And then everything else after that is a, it's a hack in a sense that's trying to profit off of it. So the same thing is physical therapy. What is the look of, and, and like, it's not just like literally every single thing after it. Like you get the first idea of like, you know, we want to break through some truth, some idea. And so the first, the true believers are the, the first group of people that really understand this thing. And then there's people who like, eventually there's grifters that hop on and say, Oh, Oh, well, I can do it's the idea of like when the measure becomes a goal, it ceases to be a measure. It's like, oh, once people say, oh, there's this thing, we notice a problem out of the world. Now let's go and fix that. And here's the way we can shift. Here's the new meme. Here's the idea we can do it to like to differently approach this. Those are people who make change. And then everybody else says, oh, I'm just going to go and like work towards a goal and then say I've got the understanding. It's like, no, 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 it's, it's different. And so d embedded in this idea of physical therapy is the actual value, like physical therapy, meaning physically you can heal yourself like you're heal it's like you know we get it therapy it's like now the therapy has become just another product it's like you know like when a product happens when we go into something with a preconceived notion a lens to which we're, we're no longer looking at something so you know therapy was an exploration of the self now we're going oh these are the four things i'm going to go and these are my like techniques i'm going to try and get you to do you're going to tap here do your cbt talk here it's like Yes, it still can be valuable. Products are still valuable and they help young professionals, like at least not destroy the person they're working with in a sense. Like if I get you to go and do some like breathwork certification, then good. I'm going to get you to make sure that at the very least, I know you're not going to like, you know, suffocate somebody else because you didn't know what to do. And you're trying to like, you do breath challenge work. You never know. Like that's the point. Like products are for young people who are figuring out what they're trying to do. But eventually, if you don't understand and see through the product and understand the essence of the truth that started the product mm. that was behind it, like frame out, you're never going to develop any type of skill set that's going to be worth helping people. And so eventually you end up becoming a hammer looking for a nail. 
So the idea of physical therapy is embedded in this capacity. The body is malleable. That is can changeable. It can grow, develop, heal, and has everything already, everything it needs to be healthy within it. And it's not looking for external products. So that idea is profound in, in the sense of like, you know, that is like as old as medicine in a sense, like by a physician, heal thyself. You know, it's like, those are the kind of things that's like, you look at this base level on substance of like, before we had a bunch of fancy scans and uh, spectrometers and I don't know, surgery, surgery tech, the tactics, it's like we had the body. And so you would look at plants and you look at the body as, as connected to nature and you would see the movement, you would see the things we eat, the exposure we had. That was part of physical therapy. And so this it is a really beautiful notion that the body is capable of healing because if like, if it wasn't, it would just be triage and you'd be going to a, you know, mechanic shop trying to just replace parts of your body and just hope for the best. It's like you start off a hundred and every, every chip you get, it never gets out of that. You know, it's like, well, the thing is you get a dent in our car, it just heals itself over time with movement. So the hard part is that over time, people start to productize that. And so then further and further, uh, oh, well, you know, it'd be really helpful if we had a, I don't know, someone's limping. So let's get a McCain. All right. Okay. Well, canes are good. Yeah. Well, canes are good, but then you see a problem with that. So like, it's funny because in sense, Everything we do as a piece of technology creates the next problem. And so it's like yes. you can even look at the Bitcoins in the sense that like if you're a Bitcoin maximizer, you probably aren't a fan of all the, the shit coins, so to speak. But it's like you look at say Bitcoin solved a problem. It's got this important thing. Maybe Ethereum's got some value to it, but Bitcoin is a thing. But then everybody else is like, oh, but we can do this and this and this and this. And then the whole – the biggest problem with Bitcoin is not going to be Bitcoin. It's going to be the 5,000 other coins that completely muddle the process that nobody has any idea what's happening now. And so now the entire – uh, cryptocurrency got traded like a stock market as an index fund as opposed to people looking at it like an actual way to create and store wealth. So you see, it's like the problem isn't the physical theory. The essence of the thing is the thing that's actually so valuable, beautiful. It's the grifters who hop on with their idea and there. And it's in the best of intentions. But in some capacity, when we start looking at the measure of like, is it profitable? It's like, mm, you know, it's like the complexity of something also – and this is where I think it's the point, like the more complex something needs to be or has to be in order for someone to like, yeah, I, I, I don't have like a good, like succinct way of thinking about it, but I liken it to taste. The better something has to taste for you to do it, the less valuable it is. Meaning like, look at liver, for example, it does not taste good, super valuable for you. Steroids not valuable for you, but super effective it's steroids. You have to inject something in your body. That's about as unpalpable as you get. And I had not have personal experience with it, but it's like, you have to inject something in your body. It's like, but it's super effective. It's like the more effective something is, the less it has to taste. The more we'll put up with the, 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 um, the, the medicine, so to speak, but the worst or the less effective something is the better it has to taste. It's like, you know, French fries and sodas and energy drinks. It's like, they all taste better. So like the same thing happens with complexity. It's like, I'm not saying that everything needs to be simple, but it's like the simpler something is, it's like, it's not necessarily more true, but it, it really, I think there is something that like, if you can't describe something simply and get back to like a meaningful understanding of it, like I'm doing this research on metabolism right now. And there's so much complexity and layers to it, but ultimately it gets back to move, breathe, eat real food, <laughs> sleep, get in sunlight, touch the ground, have friends. Like, okay, got that. And it's like, I think <laughs> exactly. it's like, we can go, uh, I forget, it was a little bit of science makes somebody an atheist. A lot of science makes them believe in God again. Or, like, just something like that. A little bit of science pulls you away from God. A lot of science brings you back to God in that sense of, like, yeah. it was this almost, in a sense, the best way I can look at the mess that's been the last 
few hundred years in a sense is like teenagers, you know? So for example, kids grow up, they've got in a healthy situation, they've got everything for them. They've got your parents love them. They got friends. They're not worried about food. They don't have to think about where food comes from. It's just there. They don't have to worry about money. They just, everything is great. It's just like, they can just go play out and just, you know, like race little like tricycle things or whatever kids do, like play with sticks. And it's like, there's this place we go to. It's just a, a little farmstead. Um, and every time we go there, everybody brings their kids and the kids just go feral. They just run around and play in mud and run around. They, they don't care. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, in a sense, we look as adults like, man, I would love to go back and have that. This would be amazing. And so in some capacity, it's like kids have it all. And then they go through teenage years, which are so messy. Like, I've got to go figure it all out myself. And so they just, like, they smell. They have to wear whatever. And it's like they have to, like, try and figure out their identity. And it's like this messy thing where so much is wasted. And as a parent, you're like, I, again, I don't have kids. So I'm just observing from other people. But it's like your parent, you're like, you don't have to go date that douchebag. You could just go and hang out for a few more years and let people's brains mature. You don't have to go drive your car at 80 miles an hour and 60 miles an hour. You don't have to go listen to music super loud. You don't have to go and like drink and get drunk when you're 16. Like we see all this stuff. Like everything you're doing is a complete waste. It's just totally messy. But the process is if they can sit and bear that mess for long enough, then they actually go through. And the goal is to return back to the informed passion, the informed gratitude, the informed wisdom that they had as kids, or that same thing where they come with an informed like appreciation. And in the same way, even though so much of the stuff, like even I was learning about lactate yesterday. It's like, you know, we've t- hit, uh, t- historically thought that lactate's a waste product. It only happens when you have not enough oxygen. You get oxygen debt and you're moving and so lactate builds up and it's a waste product, your body shuttles out. People used to think it made you sore. Lactate does not make you sore. This is not even an. It's not even something that's only made anaerobically. It's constantly made by your body as aerobics, even in aerobic situations. And it's not just about fuel and ATP, which is like the energy currency of the body. It's literally a signaling molecule that happens and tells the body that me, the metabolism needs to happen because work was done. There's so many valuable things to lactate, and we're not even thinking about that. So, mm. you know, it's like the idea like we have so many messy layers and layers and layers. Where we try a bunch of stuff with technology, and we're going to look back and be like, we really just did a you know, a bang up job of messing everything up. But it's like all of that waste will become the fodder for the understanding of like, we get all the way back to this point of like, so funny, like Andrew Huberman is, is a big podcaster, brilliant guy. Uh, he goes through these hours and hours long stuff of like, oh yeah, you know, it's good to get outside and get the sunlight. Oh yeah, you should probably touch the ground. Yeah, movement's pretty good. It's like, okay, we knew this stuff thousands of years ago, but you know, you could say, what's the point of it? Well, the point is now we understand it. We have an informed gratitude for like, this is, so all of the mess leads us to some level of deeper understanding that we now can like tell you how the thing works. But the point is we're not actually smarter than we were before. And so we're not wiser than we were before. We're just smarter. But if that's what it takes for a kid to learn and go through that process and we go through as a civilization, as a, as a people, it's like, all right, you know, we're gonna we're here for the ride. And so if the whole point of the shoe experiment was to say that, oh yeah, your feet really matter. And now people who wore shoes and choose to be barefoot are now choosing to take part in something in a meaningful way because they've done the alternative. It's like, yeah, I dated the jerk. So now I can really date the, the, the good guy and I appreciate that as opposed to like having to beat myself up. It's like, there's, there seems to be the cyclical process and whether or not it continues to repeat over and over again in the ending cycle, I don't know. I'd like to think they would just, you know, technology is moving somewhat linearly, so or exponentially across time. But yeah, I think that's the the way you look at it. It's like, okay, 
instead of looking at the physical therapy and the, all of these things that become a productized thing, it's like there is complexity, but it's in the best of intentions. And through this complexity, we will see the value that is under uh, otherwise being pushed forward and created like you're propagated across time. And then from that, we'll have an informed gratitude and appreciation and, and a consenting knowledge that we can then say, Oh, all right. Yeah, this is good. My feet are cool. And I'm touching the ground. And from that, we can then say really, all right, with the wide eyes, uh, bright eyes, like looking forward, we can make meaningful changes in the world. So, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, just putting a pin on what you said, it's like people, the only way people can prove something to themselves is if they prove it to themselves. Like I cannot prove something to you. You must prove it to yourself. And like the analogy of every roadblock obstacle setback that you face is actually part like the obstacle is the way, right? It's like the lessons you need to learn come from the obstacles you face and the failures you've had. Uh, to bring you to this new understanding. It's like, it's really hard for someone to just fast track and skip all the bullshit and get to that refined understanding because it's just not as powerful if it's told to you versus you experiencing all the things that don't work to figure out what does, right? Like I remember when I was in high school, I was like, oh yeah, landscaping seems pretty cool. You get to work outside, work with plants. Great, I'll try landscaping. Tried it, didn't like it because I was blasted every day and I was like, well, I don't want to do landscaping as my permanent job. But if I hadn't done that and someone just said, oh, it's not that good, you know, you're outside and it's, you get to plant and move, uh, but you know, you have no energy at the end of the day, I would have been like, yeah, I don't really believe you. I'm going to do it anyway. So sometimes you have to make the mistakes yourself because um, in order to figure out that something doesn't work and the lessons you learn from those sort of detours off of the perfect straight and narrow path are actually the most profound lessons that you can't learn in school, right? The school of life is a way more profound teacher. Um, and I think pain is the ultimate transformer, right? Like if someone, if someone has to experience pain, foot intense foot pain before they're open to changing their mind about shoes, then that's just the way it needs to be, right? If we can save one or two people from getting into catastrophic pain by giving them the cheat codes, um, and they're curious enough to like learn them and understand them so that they never have to go to the point of destroying their feet to then bring themselves back to restoring their feet. Great, but it's not gonna work for everyone. And so you know, just the notion that there's billions and billions of dollars spent every year on shoes that are destroying people's feet. So the problem's not going away. Yeah. Um, but if we can help people, uh, you know, bring themselves back to optimal foot health and really even a layer deeper, understand that feet are actually important for whole body health and for movement health. Um, I think that's a good thing. And, you know, even just to bring it back to something a little bit more concrete, I, you know, in the realm of coaching and movement and performance, I think that your foot health is a massive, there, there's, what I've found in my life is that there's often huge amounts of untapped athleticism um, in the feet, where a small amount of energy and effort to restore strong, healthy, mobile feet can unlock this just giant repository of untapped athleticism. Uh, I'd love to know your take on that and even how you define athleticism, right? Like when someone says someone is athletic or they think of themselves as athletic, what does that mean? And have you found it to be true that unlocking the feet and restoring, you know, giant return on investment, a little bit of time and energy restoring feet can do a massive, can give you a massive return in athleticism. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? So we'll start with the athlete. This is something I'm actually working on writing a book, uh, and I think it's interesting if you look at the root word of the word athlete, it's athlon from like it's a Greek root word. 
Um, and it just means someone who competes for a prize. And so I think that's the difference is like we've associated athletes with like a physical prize because in most cases that's like, you know, the, uh, like that's like the truest or the, the most like obvious expression in the sense like, okay, we're going to go compete. What do you get? Cause it's like, we're going to go put physical effort in. So what do I get if I win? And so athlete really refers to anybody that is competing for a prize. So that's someone who sets a goal for themselves, works towards that thing and accomplishes it. Or, I mean, even if they don't accomplish it, but as a fact that they're working towards some greater manifestation of themselves. And so in that capacity, I think that's like, if you look at an athlete, it's a much broader definition than just someone's limited by how fast you can run or jump, et cetera. But in that, I think of athlete, physical movers, professional physical movers, people that like use their body as their vehicle in a sense, like a professional driver or a professional mover, there's, you know, professional dentists, et cetera, like something that they make a living from that. And then there's people that are amateurs. And so I think that's the people I love the most of the amateurs because like they just do something for the love of it. You can still be an amateur and a professional. It's just, you know, amateur really defines whether or not you're doing something for the love of it. And, you know, professionals happens to be like, yeah, I also make money from it too. So that's kind of the, the difference. I think those three words, like a professional amateur athlete, like they kind of describe different um, let's just say different uh, sp- spectrums or scalars. So I think that's that's valuable to set up there. But in terms of that physical mover space, I think there's an incredible amount of gain to be had from hitting the low hanging fruit. So you think about a car, for example, like the tires. You could have the best horsepower. You could have great brakes. You could have great aerodynamics. You could have great uh, suspension. And, and but if you don't have tires, you can't grip the ground. So yeah, you can't do shit in some capacity. Yeah. And so some capacity, it's like, you know, shoes aren't the enemy because they are technology. Just like I would wear gloves if I was doing some, I don't know, like putting my hand in something that was like doing gardening or your landscaping. Yeah, I'll wear thin gloves. But it's like, you know, to me, it's like wearing the five finger, five five fingers are the best option for shoes because they really do like give you this glove like feeling. They wrap around the individual, individual digits. You can move, you can engage, you're not handicapped in your capacity. But, it, you know, when I see people that wear these, like, you know, inch, two inch thick shoes, it's like, you're so disconnected from the ground. How would you even know where you are? So from a perspective of like thinking about training your feet as though you were thinking about training your grip, like if someone was struggling to grip a barbell, for example, and they're doing that, that's it. Oh, I got a weak grip. Or I can't hang. I can't do a pull up. And they're like, wearing winter gloves. You tell them, You'd be like, like mm, maybe take the gloves off. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say, yes, we need it. But, but it hurts. It's like, yes, because it's like, I remember the first time I wore like super minimalist shoes. I was like, the ground always is hard. <laughs> and eventually like it's just kind of a disconnect of like oh that yeah this is just what stuff feels like in the same way doing work on my eyesight it's like things are less magnified it's like oh huh this is it, it's it's a recognition that like the way you've perceived the world isn't the way it is and i think that's very hard for people and so there is a pain and a discomfort and a hardness that happens with that that is like takes some acclimation to get used to it's just like oh yeah the ground is hard oh yeah things do hurt oh yeah there is sensation but it's like when you stop running away from the sensation of life and you just choose to not judge it and it's like, it's not bad or good. It just is. I think you have a lot more peace and contentedness with, uh, with your environment, so to speak. And so, you know, I think that's the piece is like, so when you look at like athleticism or in, in terms of physical capacity, it's like, well, if I attack the lowest hanging fruit, most people who are doing some type of sport, they're already playing their sport, practicing it. They're generally doing some type of strength work for the large major movers up the body. And, you know, the only thing they really, they'll do like the recovery, the ice tanks, they've optimized everything else, but it's like, they've got one spot. And it's like, you know, I always say, if your feet have tan lines, you're not ready to run barefoot or run at all, because it's like, 
you look at these tan lines around the feet, it's like you generally that means that you haven't been barefoot, you have no capacity to move that. And so then 25% of the bones in your body are stiff and immobile. So like, mm. you know, if that's not moving, there's something else up to change and have to compensate for that. And that creates problems. So when you look at say every part of my body is this fine tuned thing, except for my feet. Okay. Well, what are you going to get the biggest return from? Let's move the feet. And I don't know if there's something to be said for this, but I do think that if you think of like, there's, there's joint, the importance of a joint is, Generally, I'd say in relationship to like the length, uh, like the leverage from the length of the bone to me, there's like a long distance from my elbow to my shoulder, my shoulder to my wrist. And there's a small difference between the individual phalanges, the actual finger joints. So like there's less muscle, less leverage, less, uh, less power there. But I do think there is something to be said for like, if you look at your hands and your feet, you are, you know, if I bend my fingers and make a fist, I'm bending three joints there. And so if I mobilize that, I don't know if there's like an N equals one for every joint. So like one, two, three joint at the finger to the knuckle, one, two, three joint from the shoulder to elbow and wrist. Same thing for the toes and then the ankle, knee and hip. Obviously you were thinking, if I work on my hips, I'm going to get more mobile. It's like, yeah, but I think that there's an outsized impact. I, you know, this is a hypothesis, but I think there's something to be said for like an outsized impact that if you mobilize and work on your toes, it, it's like the same, there's like an N equals there's a different it's kind of like a vote like big people have one vote small people have one vote but you know it's like in that capacity everyone some people may go and like use more leverage and they go out and they talk and say you should do this and they they campaign they politicize a little bit more so they're they're like their voice is heard louder but their vote still counts the same as other things and so there's some analogy some relationship there i don't know if actually a thing but i do wonder it's like you know, I don't know if you can have healthy, mobile knee, hip, ankle, and have not have broken, bent, or stiff toes. Like, I, it seems to me that there's a problem, and I don't. I, I mean, I guess you could have healthy toes and not have healthy knees, hips, and ankles, but it seems like the work required to get healthy toes would take care of everything else. So I don't know. There's there's something in there, but I think from an athletic perspective, like if your feet get stronger, everything else would get better, and. Yeah. Yes, you're not going to be as fast if you're on barefoot, but you will be faster in your shoes when you've trained the strong feet. So. Yeah, I think one thing I've started to um, take the perspective of is like the whole body, the, the lower body below the belly button is like this integrated uh, system, right? There's multiple subsystems like the toe, each individual toe is a sub subsystem. Um, the foot is a subsystem of the lower body system. But if you view it as anything but an integrated system where every component serves a, an essential function and when one component isn't working, some other component is going to be picking up the job of a function that's not designed to do forever um, beyond its mm -hmm. its own function, you essentially, it's like the less options you have, the less parts you have that work, the sooner the remaining parts get blasted. And sometimes, mm -hmm. I think oftentimes people look at the part, especially this, this is especially true in physical therapy, this part is giving you problems. This is where you have the pain. Let's try and fix this part. It's like, well, that part's not failing because of itself. That part is doing something mm -hmm. in a way it's not supposed to, or it's doing the job of five other parts. And you're going to get a way bigger return. If you look at the, which parts aren't doing what they're doing, which requires some like systematic thinking and assessment rather than, oh, let's just make this part feel a little bit better for now. And then you got to come back and see me again. Cause we haven't solved shit. We've just literally made you feel a little bit better temporarily. Um, and unfortunately, it's way more profitable to treat the part 
and make the part feel a little bit better temporarily than it is to actually find out where the problem is coming from. Where in this integrated subsystem are we, uh, where's the fault? And, you know, unfortunately, as a physical therapist, you're not taught how to actually troubleshoot all the different parts to find out which ones are failing so that you can optimize the ones that aren't working instead of getting sort of tunnel vision on the one that's causing pain. So people just get left in this loop of, I hurt, I go see someone, I feel slightly better. They didn't fix it permanently. So I go do my thing again, and then I get hurt again. And you essentially get hurt at a higher frequency at a higher intensity level because conversations are just having to happen more and more and more. So yeah, I think athleticism is just like this base fundamental capacity that is, you know, strength and conditioning are two elements, but they're not the only two elements, right? I've met people who are really strong and can go on a bike for like an insane amount of time and are in pain all the time and can't move and can't even get into a resting swap position. So it's not just strength and conditioning. It's also like, I think athleticism is like this general indicator of capacity of how well you move through varied positions. That's a combination of strength, conditioning, but also movement um, capacity, the ability to adopt a variety of movements, um, and also like just your mobility, how well can you get into positions? And I think sometimes they get ignored just because it's, you know, you have to go through and get, go through all the mess to get through to the other side and see things for what they are. I think that's kind of like a theme that we've been sort of talking about. Um, and yeah, I think one last cook, cause we're already at an hour, time flies. So we'll have to do another one of these, maybe in like mm-hmm. six months, we'll do, we'll do a round two or even earlier. Um, but one question I'd like to ask people is in one or two sentences, how do you define health? Cause I think the word health gets thrown around a lot and everyone has their own perspective and definition of it, which is, should be the case, but I'm always interested to see what the common threads are. So in one or two sentences, how do you define health? Hmm. But I have to say, it's like the capacity to do the thing that you want to do without being hindered. Yeah, really, maybe it's just the capacity to do that, which you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you think about like any analogy of that, like how healthy is a car? Well, how, how, well, how well could it drive? You know, like, that's the thing. It's like, you could break down into sub things. Like it's, it's a combination of this, 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 like, no, just like, just the ability to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And if you are healthy, you can do what you want to do. And if you're unhealthy, you've got something going on. So Beautiful. yeah, it's the ability to do what you want to do. That's uh that's like the most crisp, concise definition I've heard to date, I think. Um, yeah. Awesome. Graham, it's been a treat talking with you. I had a bunch of other questions. We'll get into them later at some other date if we ever do. Um, but I really See, appreciate I always tend to take care of the, uh, I, I always tend to take care of the, um, the questions people have because I'll just talk so long. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I had 15 other questions. Like, yeah, I made it easy for you. I mean, the arc, like going along whatever path we end up taking is way better. The questions are there as plan B um, or as like launch mm-hmm. pads. But I uh, really enjoyed the conversation today. I'm excited to listen to this one because it's, you know, sometimes when you do a podcast, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm kind of thinking of where do we bring the conversation or how do I sort of put a pin in something to talk about it when you're done. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun chatting. It's crazy how fast an hour goes by. If uh, people want to see more about what you do or find you on the internet, where do they go? Uh, it's the barefoot sprinter everywhere. So it's all one word, the barefoot sprinter, uh, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. So that'd awesome. be the best place to get in touch with me and figure out more of that stuff. And where are you out of? Like, where do you work out of? Where do you live? Uh, well, I've grew up and lived most of my life in North Carolina, but this last year I moved out to Sacramento, California. So cool. I'm uh, up north on the West Coast. So yeah. Awesome. Good to know. But uh, if in Sacramento, you're in the local area, you want to come out to a session? There you go. 
There yes. you go. Perfect. Bare, barefoot sprint session. So everyone listening, thanks for being here. Um, we'll catch you next time. That's it. Ciao for now. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, join our brand new free community. Inside, you'll find a growing library of education, training, and resources to help you resolve common conditions, restore natural function, and explore your body's potential with a community that's there to support you along the way. To join, just head to thefootcollective.com or you'll find the link in our show notes.